welcome to our Bible Ponder for this week. I thought I'd take a brief interlude this week to talk about um, something that I think is, is pretty interesting to a lot of people, and that's the idea that there are um, sort of other Gospels or other um, texts of early Christianity that exist or existed out um, in the world in the early days of Christianity and were somehow um, suppressed and that those documents shed a different light on who Jesus was or what Christianity was and, and maybe you know completely turn our understanding of, of these events on their head. Um, it is understandably a really, really fascinating subject to and a fascinating idea to think about um, whether or not there are other texts that we haven't discovered that were suppressed. Obviously, this is um, made most famous by um, the books by Dan Brown, especially something like the Da Vinci Code and, and the other books in that series. And there is, um, again, a very understandably fascinating notion that um, we don't have it all. We don't have all the information. And there's other, um, perhaps even more salacious details, which is maybe part of the appeal, um, that have been hidden away, squirreled away, or, or again, suppressed by the powerful church trying to keep its image neat and tidy. And this is a, a, an appealing image, partly because we see powerful organizations do this all the time. The church has done this, but other powerful corporations and governments do this all the time. They suppress information that's damaging to the reputation. And they keep it hidden away, and it's always fun when these details are brought to light and we actually get to see and hear um, what was actually going on behind the scenes. And so I'm not um, unsympathetic to that notion, but I wanted to talk just realistically about um, these so-called other Gospels and, and kind of what they are and, and what we can um, learn from them and why um, they're maybe not all they're cracked up to be in that news article you read or that work of fiction that, that you've maybe enjoyed. Um, and those things are, are fun to enjoy. Um, I think the, the books, from what I understand, are... Um, enjoyable fiction. I've seen the movie with Tom Hanks, The Da Vinci Code, um, and it's a, it's an enjoyable um, an enjoyable set of fiction. But let's talk about what um, they really are for, for a sec. So for the Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four Gospels um, that have been handed down to us. Now, their authorship is not necessarily known exactly. There are different theories about how they came about. Um, the most um, traditional um, that, that goes back a while, but not to the earliest Derby's church, but fairly traditional image that appeared early on, is that these Gospels were written by disciples or uh, capital A apostles or people who were um, taught um, by apostles. So you have Matthew, the book written by the apostle Matthew, sometimes thought of as um, the tax collector Levi, who could also be called Matthew. Mark, written by perhaps John Mark, who was a disciple of Peter. Luke, who was a doctor who rode around with Paul and then wrote Acts. And so in his travels with Paul and also his time spent with um, Mary, we get Luke and Acts, and then the Gospel of John, written by the Apostle John, who then also writes the Revelation and is um, exiled to the island of Patmos. Um, and that's the, the traditional understanding that we have, and that's kind of the, the simplest one. Now, um, the authorship for something like Mark is, is maybe pretty good. There are some details in there that you can see being present. Um, Luke is maybe our best bet for an actual unified authorship by someone 
um, who is called Luke, who trapped around with Paul. That kind of fits the description. But to say that they're just written by a single author is a bit simplistic. So all of the Gospels show marks of um, carrying on oral tradition. And we know that in part because they don't exist in their entire form always from the beginning. So there are different bits of them that might be in different places in different manuscripts. You might have some stories kind of moved around to different places. This is um, true, especially John. One of the most famous stories is the woman um, who is trapped in a, a um, plot of catching her in adultery and then brought before Jesus. And she ben, or Jesus bends down and writes in the sand and, and famously says, who he is without sin, throw the first stone. Um, that um, story isn't in every um, early document we have of John's gospel, but it's in a lot of them. Sometimes it's in different places, and that kind of happens. And that doesn't mean that that story isn't true or that that story doesn't belong in the gospel, but what it shows us and what it illustrates is that the gospels are kind of composite works. And um, you can see this especially with what we call the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, because they line up side by side pretty well. Luke has a lot more material that's unique, um, but Matthew and Mark line up really, really well, and Matthew's just a bit more verbose. And so a lot of the things are in the same order, and you even have a couple of stories that are um, basically word for word in Greek the same. So this shows that there is tradition out there of of Jesus that's very, very early on that's being picked up by the early church and then written down. So some of this is oral tradition. Yeah, a couple, a, a hundred years ago or so, um, scholars started to think that there was one single maybe written or perhaps oral source that then um, becomes the source material for a lot of the different sort of things. And there becomes all of this sort of source theory, um, but none of it's really proven. All of it's speculative, but it's really still interesting to think about. But basically what we can know is that the earliest communities of Christians had oral traditions being passed on, stories about who Jesus was that they began to write down, and then eventually you have four kind of master copies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that become recognized as authoritative. They become recognized as the kind of definitive stories of who Jesus is, the most trusted and the most um, kind of, you know, stamped, uh, approved by the um earliest of the disciples, those closest, and, the, and maybe even a lot of the eyewitnesses of who Jesus was. And so that's how we end up with the four Gospels as they are. They are um, collected stories passed down um, to us from the earliest followers of Jesus, those who saw him, who knew him, who were present at a lot of these events. So one of the most famous ones we have is um, the Gospel of Thomas. And Thomas is, is maybe one of the inspirations for um, for the Da Vinci Code in, in some ways. Also, um, it, it is used in evidence to support that um, sort of textual source that I mentioned earlier that, that they call Q, um, which is just a name they've picked to call it, that, that um, could have been inspiration for some of the other material. Now, Q, or Tom, the Gospel of Thomas is basically all um, just sort of sayings kind of in a row, so it's not as fleshed out of a narrative. It doesn't have the same characteristics of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in terms of um, telling a story, setting scenes, and, and also matching up with themselves. So it's very, very different to the other four. 
And it's mostly, again, comprised of just um, individual sayings, just sort of non sequiturs, um, one after the other. It doesn't have the same characteristics. Now, there's a few other um, ones. I think there's a gospel, uh, gospel of Judas, and there's a few other things like that. Now, um, to give all of these documents kind of equal weight and to say that, well, the church has just been selective and has chosen Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over the Gospel of Thomas or whatever, um, is not quite telling the whole picture. Um, because for one, in terms of, again, manuscripts, again, in terms of acceptance in the early church, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are appearing very, very early. They're being accepted very, very early. And we have a lot of manuscript evidence of them, a lot of, you know, very, very early, even just fragments of them from the earliest days of Christianity. We have lots. In terms of the textual history of the Gospel of Thomas, um, we don't really have much of that at all. And, uh, whoa, it just got very dark. Um, we don't have very much textual evidence for the Gospel of Thomas. Very, very few manuscripts. And most likely, um, the earliest date that we can pin it at is somewhere around AD 200 um, to maybe even AD 250. Now, that is Again, AD 250 is more than 200 years after Jesus lived and died. These The four Gospels that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written as early as just a couple decades after Jesus lived and died. So it's a massive difference then just historically. What are you going to take? The other thing is, to well, then you can say, well, the church suppressed those manuscripts or they they destroyed them or or whatever because they were afraid of what they contained. Again, that's probably not true. Again, looking at it textually, um, the way it's written, the manuscripts that we actually have, and also just the style of it probably um, says it's written in um, AD 200. The manuscripts we have are written in Coptic, which is, again, not Greek, which was the language of the other. Gospels are written in, so it's a bit later, and it's just not quite the same. The other thing to think about as a counter to the um, the argument that says that the church has suppressed these documents, and, and so um, it's not that um, the, the, these documents are wrong and these documents are right, but that um, it's bad PR and it's bad, and it looks it look all looks so bad, so we got to hide it um, from people. Yeah, the other argument to that is. We all have to do this when we um, are doing history. There are some things that just aren't good sources for history. They aren't um, good indicators of what really happened. We do this with other ancient figures as well. There's lots of stories told about um, different historical figures. But when we're doing history, when we're writing a history book, you're taking the best sources in. You could look at a story um, from something like World War II, an event that still lives in historical memory for, for some who, who lived through that. And you could look at a bunch of sources for that and say you have a few sources, a few books written in the 1950s that recount tales of eyewitness people in um, the, that took place in World War II. And then you have a book that came out in 2003, and it's written by someone who wasn't alive at the time of World War II, and it's mostly just... Um, kind of collected stories of, you know, anecdotes here or there without really good sourcing or 
um, referencing people who are eyewitnesses or anything like that. And it tells a wildly different story. So it comes out in 2003 and it, tell, it completely repaints how we see um, the, you know, maybe the relationship between Winston Churchill and, and FDR. It shows it in a completely different light that they were um, massive enemies. They hated each other and they were constantly battling for, for or, or, you know, whatever it is. And it, and it completely upends our understanding of what went on in World War II. We would understandably not take that book very seriously. Um, maybe some people would, and maybe some people would latch on to that as a kind of alternative history. But for the most part, we would use our brains and look at it and go, that's not really what happened. We have other documents. We have other sources. We have eyewitnesses. We have people who have told us what happened. We can look at this book that's published later and kind of understand that it's not telling us the truth of what happened. So that's, I think, a lot of what happens with the early church and the documents that don't end up codified in the New Testament, especially in terms of the Gospels. It's just looking at it going, yeah, this isn't, this isn't what happened. What are you talking about? Um, now, there were purposes for other Gospels. I've mentioned it at different times in Bible Ponders about um, things called pseudepigrapha, which is books that are claiming to be written by someone else but are clearly not. So we have um, pseudepigrapha from around the time of Jesus and a bit earlier that are claimed to be written by the character Enoch. Now, Enoch is a character in the Old Testament purported to live long before um, Abraham or even Noah. So it's clearly not written by Enoch, and no one who was reading that book would think that it was written by Enoch, and no one who was reading that book would think that the author thought they were fooling anyone. It's clearly just a literary device. Um, other pseudepigrapha are written in a, with a name to um, give it authority or give it weight, or you're written in the same style. Something like Second Timothy is probably like that, where it's written with the name of Paul attached to it, but it's not written by Paul, but it's in the same style. It's written, written by someone with authority, all of that sort of thing. So with something like the Gospel of Thomas, it could it doesn't have to just be written in a nefarious way. It could just be something that is written um, to tell more stories or to pass down other tradition that existed before it was written. Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily nefarious. But I think one of the things to keep in mind as we talk about these things is it's not as if one is completely true and one is completely untrue or that we need to squash one or squash, not squash the other. But just to, to hold in our minds that Sometimes these documents are not used and haven't been used by the church for a long time just because of simple logic, because people looked at it and said, yeah, that's not really true. That's not really what happened. And so they didn't use it. They didn't pick them up. They didn't make copies and copies and copies like we have with the New Testament manuscripts, like we have with um, the Gospels. We have not just texts of the Gospels, fragments of the Gospels, but we have pretty early on entire collections of what we know as the New Testament all of them together as as they are, essentially, um, without these extra things. They're, they weren't included really, really early on, um, just because that's how we do history. So that's my little interlude to talk about these other Gospels, these other texts out there. Um, it's not um, necessarily some kind of nefarious game of, of PR that the church is trying to keep them down. It's just the way we do history sometimes.
um, but they are still interesting as historical artifacts to read about what some people were thinking at some sort of place. I don't think they're anything to be afraid of or to shy away from acknowledging that they exist. They clearly do exist. We have their manuscripts, but if we're talking about manuscripts of say the gospel of Mark on the order of thousands of manuscripts, and we have um, copies of the gospel of Thomas on the order of fives or tens, um, it's not really comparable that, that they're all kind of equal footing and one has been squashed as a PR stunt. It's more just it was never really a popular way to think about it. Um, so that's that's my spiel for that. I hope that was um, interesting. I hope that um, it can let you engage with some of that material with sort of a fresh eye. Um, again, I, I imagine that the, the Da Vinci Code books and movies are um, a fun little diversion. Don't be afraid of them. I don't think they're wrong. I don't think they're bad. But we can keep in mind the reality of what's actually going on with some of the source material and understand fiction for fiction and understand um, historical research for historical research. So that's all I've got for you today. I hope you have a good week. Bye-bye.